Mike uses good. put it on backwards. This is why they don't let me do this all the time, because I'm going to put the microphone on backwards. Who does that? I am me. <laughs> I love it. Me, he's right. I'm excited to be back with you in this capacity this morning. Pastor Joe was actually out of town this week visiting a friend of his who is his family, is his brother who was in um, a really significant motorcycle accident. So um, Joe had the opportunity to go and minister to him and to his family. And we encourage you to pray alongside of Pastor Joe for his friend's healing. And Bruce is in the big house. That's the sanctuary. He is over there this morning. Um, it's his last Sunday teaching there. Next week he'll be back with us um, here. So that's why you get me. And I am thrilled to be here with you this morning as we continue, continue in the new year in our Move Over series this week we are back in the gospel. We are in the gospel of Mark. It's in the New Testament. And to start our time together this morning, I think it's really important if you have heard me teach before, you hear me talk about how important it is that we read our Bibles and we study our Bibles and we understand what is in our Bibles, but we also have to know about the Bible in and of itself. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the book of Mark this morning. Most scholars, no matter if it's placed second, most scholars believe that the book of Mark was written first. It is the oldest of all of the Gospels. This is driving me crazy. It's the oldest of all of the Gospels, and it was written around 60 AD, which is about 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. It is the shortest of all of the Gospels. So if you want to start reading a Gospel and you have a short attention span, a lot of people say... <laughs> Start with John, and the message of John is beautiful, but if you have a short attention span, start with Mark, because it's the shortest. And it um, doesn't have a lot of elaborate language. It's not fancy in the way that it was written. The book in and of itself, it's like almost one gigantic run-on sentence, because it's, you see the word and a lot, and da-da-da-da-da, and blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. And then, and then, and then, and the word also immediately is there, which creates a sense of urgency. The word immediately is used, and then immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. So the book moves quickly, and it draws you in. We don't know who wrote it, which is awkward when you know that it's titled Mark. There's no real scholarship to say for sure. Legend says it was John Mark, who is the youngest of all the disciples, but there's nobody that knows for sure but it's called Mark in the Bible, so I think we just safely assume for all of our purposes, because what if Bob wrote it? That would be weird. No. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Appreciate that. Um, so no, for our purposes, we assume that it is Mark. And if you were here in December, when we started in Mark chapter 1, we learned about John the Baptist and the fresh start his parents had when they received the news that they were pregnant with Jesus' cousin. And we learned about Jesus and his birth and the calling of the disciples and the fresh start that they received. And today we are in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And to begin our time together today, which at home it was about 45 minutes, so y'all better settle in. Go get some coffee if you need. No, it's like 35. I know it's still too long for you. I'm going to do my best to be done on time. Um, I'm going to start our time together by throwing a question out there for you. Why, why are you here? And I don't mean that in like an existential, why am I here? Why am I moved your fingers? Why am I here? I mean, 
Why are you here in this place today? As we go through our lesson together, we'll get back to that question later, but start thinking about it for now. We're going to jump into our scripture, and I don't have a PowerPoint today, and there is a reason why. About 2,000 years or so ago, our brothers and sisters could not read. They were hearers of God's word. The large majority of them could not read, so they would have the word spoken to them. And that's what I want us to do today. And if you read and you study um, the intent of the book of Mark, I think one of the reasons why it's a gigantic run-on sentence is because the gospel of Mark is good news, and he was, the writer was so excited that he wanted to share it. If you have your Bible, please read along. Um, if not, if you even want to just close your eyes, because what I want us to do is immerse ourselves in this story today. Ready? And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And it was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes, they were sitting there, and they questioned in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned thus, says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the man, your sins are forgiven, or to pick up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. And he said to the paralytic, he turns and he says to the paralytic, I say, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. God, we know that your word is quick, and we know that your word is true, and we know that your word is powerful. Help us to be good hearers of your word this morning. In the name of your son, amen. Honestly, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and we're going to park on this story today. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of all of the people who were involved, because when you break it down, and if you are like me, if you believe that this story actually happened, which I do, I believe this happened, when you think about it from the perspective of everybody who was in the room, this is an amazing story. And it will help us answer the question, I think, why are you here today? So let's start with the group of friends. So the Bible is clear. It says, and they came, which means there's a group of people, much more than four, but they had a friend who was paralyzed, and he was on a mat. So it took four of their friends to carry him. And somewhere along the way, they found out, this group of people found out that Jesus was a healer. And if you go back to Mark chapter 1, midway to the end of the book, of the chapter, you find out that Jesus is going all over the place and he's healing people. And the word spread really quickly. Even after he said to somebody, now don't tell him what I did for you, and the guy runs out and blabs his mouth, which is rightful. I mean, he has the right to do that. He was healed. Why wouldn't you run and tell everybody? So somebody in the group finds out that Jesus is a healer and they have a friend who is paralyzed. 
and they bring him to Jesus on a mat. And now imagine if this is your friend and you love your friend so much and you've heard about Jesus, you want to get him to Jesus and you bring him on a mat and you're so excited to get there, but then you're like, there is no room. The Bible tells us that there were so many people there, they couldn't get near the door. It was like beyond standing behind the velvet line. It was beyond anything else. They couldn't get there. Now, how many of you have a friend who is clever and would say, hey, I got an idea. We're going to drag him to the roof. They dragged their paralyzed friend to the roof, which I think is when you read the story, you're like, oh, they took him to the roof. Think about that. They wanted their friend to get to Jesus so desperately that somehow they figured out how to get their paralyzed friend up on top of a roof. Now, our roofs back in that day, they were flat. They weren't like our American-style pitched roofs. They were flat because people would store excess goods up there. Or it was so beastly hot in the summer in Capernaum that they would sleep up there at night to get a cool breeze. So the roof was flat. But once they get up there, the friends are like, how do we get him down there? And another friend says, I got an idea. We're going to bust a hole through the house of somebody that we don't even know. If you did that in the United States, you would get shot. You know you would. We shoot people all the time. We do. You would get shot. And the, if you read the Greek text, it's not like the house wasn't made out of matchsticks. It was, it was a roof. So they had to actively find a way to dig through that roof because your fingers wouldn't have done it. But sure enough, they do. And they get through the roof and they lower their friend down, boom, right in front of Jesus, ready for him to be healed. But then put yourself in the perspective of the people sitting in the room. Imagine we're all there right now and we are listening to the greatest teacher who has ever taught, ever and you're listening, and you're intent, and you're focused, and you're like, okay, Jesus, but the way that our brains are wired, as soon as something else is up around us, that's where our mind's eye goes. So you're listening to Jesus, and then out of the corner of your eye, there's like, what is that? <laughs> Back to Jesus, and you're listening to Jesus. And then you notice, out of your eye again, I think that's ceiling. And you look up, and you're like, back to Jesus. And you try really hard to pay attention, but our brains are truly wired that once it's our attention is diverted. That's where we're going. And it's a good thing because the next time you look up, sure enough, chunks of stealing are falling down and there's a dew being lowered down onto the ground. Imagine if that happened right now. And you look up only to find four faces staring back over at you to see if their friend made it down. You can picture it, can't you? I can't, clearly, <laughs> clearly I can. And Jesus is put on the spot in front of everybody to heal him, and everybody's waiting, and they're all excited. And then Jesus does something different with the whole forgiveness thing. And if you're a friend, if, if that was my friend and I had gone to all that trouble, I would be sad. I'd be angry, probably, right? I'd be super disappointed. I'd be disappointed for him. I'd gone to all this trouble because I heard Jesus was the man, and I get there, and nothing happens. And I was shocked. They were shocked. We know people in the room were shocked because of this whole forgiveness thing. There's another group in that room also who was very shocked at the forgiveness thing, and they were called the scribes. 
the scribes were super religious. They were legal law scripture experts. That was their jam. They knew how to interpret the scripture. That's what they did. And they weren't necessarily bad guys because they cared very deeply about God's word. They cared very deeply for people taking God's word seriously, for following God's word seriously. And in a way, as the experts, it was kind of their job to be there and to check Jesus out as a teacher. That was their job. And at first, they were also probably like, what on earth is going on here? And then they were angry. And they said in their spirits, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is their logic, they're questioning. And their logic is right. As scribes, they would know the verse from Isaiah that says, the Lord says, I am the one who forgives sins. And the scribes knew that. They would have memorized it. Plus, they reminded people of it all the time. They were excellent at reminding people of the law. Only God can forgive sins. And they were outraged. And this is the first time in Scripture that we hear the word that ultimately leads to Jesus' death. Who knows what that word is? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Inside, they're mad. See, to blaspheme is to speak irreverently about God or sacred things or to not show respect towards God. And that's what the scribes thought Jesus was doing by saying that he could he was going to forgive sins, he was comparing himself to God, which in his mind, which in their mind, he was not, right? That C.S. Lewis quote, I had to get it from Al earlier this week, Lord, lunatic, or liar. At that point, he was like, the, he was in the lunar liatic, uh, liatic? Lunar, shut up, Al. He's in the back laughing at me. Lunar liat, I can't even do it. <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> what is it? He was a liar and a lunatic. That's what they thought. He was certainly not God. But God was in the room, and he's the person that we haven't talked about yet. And we want to finish up our, this part talking about him. Um, up until, like I said, up until this point in chapter 1, Jesus had gone around healing people everywhere. That's what he was doing until one day his disciples came to get him. And I'm like, come on, you have more people to heal. And he's like, nope, I'm done. I'm going to get back to doing what it is that I came to do. And that is preach the good word. And that's why he was in the house that day. And it's interesting when I read this, if you go back and read it, the word says Jesus was at home. We don't know who's home. Maybe Jesus had a house. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Maybe it was Simon's house or somebody else's house. But he was at home not to heal, but to teach that day. But in that moment, Jesus was put on the spot to heal, which in a way, if you think about it, I'm not going to purposefully make you angry, but he, it was harder for him to heal. Wasn't it? Kind of, if you think about it. See, we can't see if the paralyzed man's sins were forgiven. I can't see. They couldn't see his insides, but you darn well know they could get up and watch him walk and take his mat out of that room. So it was harder for Jesus to heal. And even though that's what he is put on the spot to do, he still sticks to why he was there. His purpose was to teach, and that's what he does. And he's about to teach them all who he really is. See, Jesus knew the scribes' hearts. They didn't say that blasphemy thing out loud. Jesus perceived in his spirit 
what they were saying. And he calls them out, which should have freaked them out a little bit, right? Kind of lended some credibility to Jesus, what, you know, being there, because he perceived what they were saying. And he calls them out by flipping it around and he asks them a question. And Jesus is a master at this, right? People come at him and he flips it around and he asks you a question. It's designed to make you think, which is easier, to forgive his sins or to heal him? And then he does something else that's interesting. And this is, this is just for the scribes only. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He calls himself the Son of Man. Jesus has a lot of names, and sometimes we hear Son of God, and that implies Jesus' deity. Son of Man implies Jesus' humanity, but it also has a far deeper meaning that the scribes specifically would have understood. Jesus is taking them all the way back, all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, in a prophecy that I want to read for you, and it is beautiful. I love this. Chap uh, Daniel chapter 7 says, As I watched in the night visions, I saw one, like a human being, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, it's an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. In that moment before the scribes, Jesus was rightfully claiming who he is. And in that moment, when he heals the man on command and he gets up and he leaves, the scribes, they really committed their biggest error that day. It wasn't questioning, it wasn't checking Jesus out. It was failing to see the word of God literally standing before their eyes. And for Jesus to show them all that he is the word made flesh, he forgives, like Lori taught, he forgives, and then he heals. And the Greek translation says the people went nuts. They lost their minds. They were so excited by what they had seen that day. Imagine if you were there. I, clearly, I love this story. I love this story. I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And I, there are a lot of applications, I think different applications that you could take. I think you could take about being a good friend. You could take about how sometimes we get things as religious people. We probably fall into that category. We get things wrong. But I kept coming back to something different today that I wanted to, to share with you. Jesus did something for that man that nobody knew he needed, not even his best friends who brought him into the room that day. Jesus offered forgiveness. So often we look to Jesus to satisfy some temporary earthly need, what we think is our most immediate need to heal us from this need, whether it's an addiction, a broken relationship, a a bad marriage, a crappy job, something, a broken heart. We want 
I want, I want my paralyzed man moment, Jesus. I need immediate and verifiable proof. But Jesus sees beyond what we think we need now. And that's not to say that what we need now isn't important to us, but Jesus sees beyond the temporary to what is most important, and that is eternity. See, without Jesus, we are separated for an eternity from God. Without that forgiveness, we are not reconciled to God. We are not made right with him because, unfortunately, we are sinful and we are broken. We know that. But God is holy and he is righteous. And the two, it's not like it's Schrodinger's theory. They can't sort of maybe exist at the same time. They cannot. So it is only through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled to him and made right with him. Jesus is God's gift to all of us, that forgiveness and that reconciliation that he offers. Warren uh, Wearsby is a theologian and a biblical scholar, and he's an awesome teacher, and he said this, and I love this quote because I'd never, ever thought about forgiveness like this. He said, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. And I don't think about forgiveness as a miracle. I think sometimes I think it's just what happens, but it makes sense that it's a miracle. I know me. <laughs> That's a, forgiveness is a miracle. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing with the most lasting results. Jesus sees eternity in mind with our forgiveness. So the question, why are you here today? Maybe some of you are here today um, because you're hoping to be healed. You are here to be healed of some sort of ailment, affliction. Maybe you've brought a friend with you. And if you did, praise God, thank you. Maybe you're like the big crowd that gathered near Jesus. They wanted to be taught. Maybe you're like the scribes who wanted to check Jesus out and see if he's legit as a teacher and as a healer. Maybe put him to the test. No matter, I promise you, no matter what your reason is for being here, Jesus will far surpass any expectation that you have far surpass, and it all starts with his forgiveness. And for some of you today, that is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receiving his forgiveness. Receiving the gift of faith. That's the forgiveness that you are here looking for today. You might not even know it. For others of us who are in this room today, there's still forgiveness needed even if we have made our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. For some of us, we need to personally forgive ourselves for the sins of our past that we want to cling to and hold on to and maybe sit in and allow them to define us because we know it was bad. We want to hold on to it, but we need to forgive ourselves and let it go. My encouragement for you today is that God does not remember your sins. And I say that pretty confidently because the Bible tells me so. The book of Isaiah says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember them. 
Brothers and sisters, I love you. You are not smarter than God. If you are holding on to your sins, do what that song says and let it go. Now, hopefully that's stuck in your head. Thanks, Sherry. Woo! And Jenny. Woo! I hate that song. I'm so thankful my niece doesn't know what that song is yet. For others of us, for as many of us as there are in this room that probably need to personally forgive ourselves for something that we have been through, there are others of us in this room who need forgiveness in our relationships as either the forgiver or the forgive-e. See, when we withhold forgiveness, when we withhold receiving or giving forgiveness, it has a profoundly deep and often damaging effect on us. We become bitter and we become angry and we become resentful, which are all conditions of our hearts, and they cause our hearts to become hard. Remember what Jesus said. I love this. He said, why are your hearts like that? Jesus knew it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. And when that heart becomes hard, it starts to have an effect on everything else in our lives. Picture a beautiful, smooth pond. I can see it in my mind's eye with mountains all around it, and the pond is smooth. And I throw a rock in it, and all of a sudden, these little ripples start going out. That's what a hard heart is like in our lives. Those, the ripples of a hard heart are eventually seen in our families, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our school, in the body of Christ. Giving, learning to give and to receive forgiveness. If, you, if somebody has asked you for forgiveness and you are withholding it, I'm encouraging you, it's okay to forgive that person because it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't mean that you're letting them off the hook. It doesn't even mean that you have to have a relationship with them anymore because the truth is God might not want you to have a relationship with that person because he knows it's not good for you, but he does want you to let go of something that no longer is good for you, and that's holding on and not offering forgiveness. And on the flip side, if we need to ask somebody for for forgiveness, if we are in a relationship with somebody, I'm not talking about cutting them off when you're leaving the parking lot. If that were the case, I've seen how everybody leaves here. Joe Davis, I have seen how you leave here. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Davis, you're welcome. I got to get you in once. You're welcome. But it's true. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about somebody with whom you have a relationship with and you have hurt by your behaviors and your actions. God will work and stir in your heart and push you towards forgiveness. And when you find, it might take a while. I'm not, trust me, (laughs) it's not easy. But after some time and you have your humility in check and your pride is in check and you are genuinely sorry, you go to that person and you ask them for forgiveness. And you get ready to accept a possible consequence. There might be some, and I think that's what prevents us from asking for forgiveness is that we don't like to be held accountable sometimes. But that's part of the package. When we give and we receive forgiveness, what that is doing in our relationships is it's tearing down the roadblocks that the enemy has created. These are roadblocks that keep us in the way from loving one another in the body of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we are called to be forgiving people. 
I don't know why you are here today. I'm thrilled. I'm really excited. I love it when everybody is here. And I don't know, only you can answer that question. But my final encouragement for all of us is that we <laughs> see past the temporary. We run towards eternity and we let the Jesus who sees what we most desperately need work and stir in our hearts and urge us towards forgiveness. I invite you to pray with me. Father, it is so good to be with your people within this body of Christ today. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness that sees past what it is that we have done. We thank you for loving us and accepting us and redeeming us. Help us to be the kind of people that will be forgiving and loving towards others the way that you were towards us. And because we know it is not easy, we ask you to fill us with your forgiving spirit. And Lord, help us to live out the words that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think we're going to skip the last song because I knew I would talk too long, so we will close with saying the Lord's Prayer as the body of Christ. I invite you to stand with me as we do our blessing. Christ, before